good evening, and thank you for joining us again uh, for our evening service stream here at Forsyth Baptist Church. Uh, before I pass this over to Brother Mike, I do just want to give you a few announcements. Uh, as I mentioned this morning, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the homeless population of Athens has really been impacted with a lot of different organizations in town that would normally be helping them, just not having the resources to be able to help them. So one of our own members, John Williamson, has started trying to reach out and seeing how we can help. And one of the ways that you can help, uh, if you have any uh, non-perishable food items, toilet paper, uh, other items that you'll probably see listed on screen, or any uh, anything else that you can think of that you would be happy to donate, uh, what you can do, you can send the church a message either on Facebook or by email at info at fhbcathens.org, and we will work with you to set up a time for us to come pick that up so we can make sure it gets to where it needs to go. Uh, speaking of uh, donations, we are still accepting offerings for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We still do have one week left where we are accepting donations. So if you'd like to donate that or donate towards that, you can send those to 1155 Oglethorpe Avenue, Athens, Georgia, 30606. Again, that is 1155 Oglethorpe Avenue, Athens, Georgia, 30606. Uh, with this being Holy Week, uh, we are going to be putting out different posts uh, throughout the week, both on social media and also emailing those out to our members. So if you're interested in joining our mailing list, you can just send us an email at info at fhbcathens.org. Uh, before I pass this over to Brother Mike, I do just want to have a quick word of prayer. So if you will, bow with me. Uh, hey, God, just thank you for this day and this wonderful opportunity that we have. Just to be able to come together and just study your word, God. Uh, I pray that as Brother Mike comes to preach this evening, God, that you would just uh, prepare our hearts for the message that you have for us and that you would just give him the words to say and to speak through him. Uh, I pray that you just be with each and every request that uh, someone listening might have, God, whatever it may be. I just pray that you would just be with that in a special way. Uh, again, I just thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have to still gather in your name, even though we can't meet physically, God. Uh, we love you and we praise you for everything. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. It's good to be with you again uh, this evening. We're looking at uh, Esther chapter 6. Fun chapter. Last week was Haman's big day. Uh, this week, uh, not so much so. Uh, we're going to be looking at pride comes before the fall. Or as somebody else put it, uh, what goes around comes around. We can just picture Haman as he strutted home after being invited to the queen's uh, banquet, Queen Esther, uh, with the king. What a wonderful privilege. What a wonderful honor. Here's a prime minister. He's already thinking big of himself anyway. And not only was he invited to the uh, queen's banquet that day, but he and the king were reinvited. They were invited again to another banquet held by her the next day. And Haman went home strutting like a banty rooster. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but they strut around those little things like they, you know, they own the world. And so kind of reminds me of an event that happened back in 1996. I was pulling for the guy. His name was Greg Norman. He was known as a shark. He was the one to beat. I mean, he was hot in golf. The place was Augusta, the tournament, the Masters. Going into Sunday's round, he had a five-point lead. I mean, that's a big lead. 
And so I don't know how he felt. Years later, some said that he gave an interview and said that he was real nervous. He didn't get any sleep. But I know that a lot of golfers, when they go in that night and they have a name like a shark, that kind of reputation, they think that, hey, man, this is mine. Maybe a little bit of anxiousness, but they think, oh, boy, I've got it. Well, Sunday rolled around, and he ended up being beat by about the number that he was ahead. Not only that, but it also reminds me of the Falcons in the Super Bowl in 51, I believe it was, Super Bowl 51, where they had a 28-3 lead, 25 points going into the third quarter. I don't know about you, but I'm sure some of the players on the sideline or at halftime, they probably thought, hey, man, turn out the light. The party's over. Man, you know, that's, that's the way a lot of them feel. And they were playing the, the, uh, the Patriots. But the Patriots, they had a different song. We've only just begun. And they did. They came back and they beat the Falcons. Well, Haman, let's get back to him. How did he feel? In uh, chapter 5 it says, Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was fulfilled with anger against Mordecai. Haman con uh, controlled himself, though, went to his house, sent for his friends and his wife, Jerish. Then Haman recounted to them, oh, he told the story, I'm sure over and over and over again, the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, even Esther, even Esther, Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet. I mean, it was just us two private gathering, which she had prepared. And guess what? That's not the end of it. Tomorrow, also, I am invited by her with the king to go again, man. Isn't that something? Yet all of this, oh, it doesn't satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate because he won't bow down to me. He won't tremble before me. He won't worship me. Then Zerus, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Well, take, you know, you know what to take care of him. Have a gallows 50 cubits high made in the morning. Ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then you can go joyfully to the king, uh, with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. I'm sure... As the gallows were being made that night, the sound of it just put him to sleep with joy. And he woke up early, expecting greater things the next day. The victory was his. He was coming down the second half lane and, and about to win the game. Turn out the light, the party's over. But what Haman didn't, take into account was God and his timing and his work. God, if you will, had only just begun. 
for things to begin to fall in place for Mordecai and, and, and for the Jews. Just look at how God was moving the pieces. This is an exciting chapter. First, God's desire was for the Jews, you know, he wanted them to be brought to him to repent. And he wanted them, secondly, to humble themselves before him, seeking help and guidance, dependence upon him. He always wants that from his children. So they came that way. They fasted and they prayed before God, knowing that, you know, if anything worked out, it had to be from God. Interceding for God's direction in Esther's life. So here we come to Esther chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. You see, when God seems to be uninvolved, we can rest assured that He is very involved. He is at work at all times. God is at work behind the scenes. We may not be seeing Him work like we would want to, but He's, he's doing a work. He never ceases to do that work. And he's doing a work in the lives of, of Mordecai and Esther. But not only them. The Jews, but not only them. He's doing a work in the king's life. Isn't that amazing? Someone who did not believe. He's doing a work with him. He's doing a work with also Haman. So he's working it all out. You see, when things seem like they couldn't get any worse, sometimes they do. And that's the way it, it seemed for Mordecai, and I'm sure, and, and, and the Jews. But Haman was so mad with Mordecai for not bowing down to him and not fearing him that he had it sped up. What sped up? The death of Mordecai. Matter of fact, the next day, he was going to uh, have a pole high enough to hang him 75 feet tall where all the people could see, where... You know, they would all be, they would all fear Haman. And they would do what he said to do. And the Jews wouldn't think about not bowing down before him. Even though the Jews probably didn't see God at work during this time, he was definitely at work. He always is. I want us to look at a, the restless night for the king. In Esther 1, 6, 1 through 5, during that night the king could not sleep. So he, boy, this is so great. So he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. I mean, this is what all the king has done. I mean, they had the, the history books throughout. And it was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bethana and Turish two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. The king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this, this great deed that he did, saving my life, revealing the, uh, the, the plan there to, to, to have him killed? Then the king's servant who attended him said, I don't read anything. Nothing was done for him. So the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered. You know, he was excited. Boy, he couldn't wait. Couldn't wait to go to the banquet. He wanted to take care of matters that morning. Get Mordecai out of the way. Get that thorn in the flesh out of the way. He had just entered the outer court of the king's palace. 
in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows which he had prepared for him. Now, let's go back to the king. Some people would think, well, the king, he didn't get any sleep that night because he had too much to eat and too much to drink. You know, a lot of times when we have too much to eat, our stomach gets upset or whatever, we just can't get good sleep. And some would say that was the case with him. Others might say that he was worried about the affairs of, of the kingdom. And you know, when, when you start worrying about what's going on, your business, whatever's taking a place, a crisis out there, uh, then you, you know, that becomes dominant in our mind and our thinking, and, and it can keep us awake. Well, it could have been any number of things. We don't know what kept him awake, except we do know that God used it to keep him awake. Now, uh, we, we see some or, or, or all of these might have played a part with the king being awake that God used. Especially that, I could see that Queen Esther said, well, I'll tell you tomorrow what is upon my mind. Ah, that could have played a big part. But whatever it was, the Lord God was pulling the strings and he was working the puzzle and he was uh, completing the dots, if you will, and he was having uh, the king stay awake, King Hazarus. And he was, God is watching over his people also at all times, just like he was then. He never sleep or he never slumbers. Psalm 121, 3 through 4 says, God who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The reason God wanted the king to stay awake was simple, because he had something to tell him. And he had the timing just for him to meet Haman. He had it all worked out. He had the servant to pull the book down and, and everything to fall in place. And so we, uh, we read, uh, just like Paul said in, in the New Testament, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And Esther was called according to his purpose. Mordecai was called according to his purpose. His people were called according to his purpose. Proverbs 21.1 tells us a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs wherever he chooses. And that's what he was doing with the king here. God causes this imbalanced night to occur in the king's life for a reason. To direct him. God knows how to keep people from sleeping when he desires to. And that's what he did with the king Ahasuerus. Now, this was a night. It wasn't an ordinary night. This was a night to remember. At least not for Mordecai, but for Haman. Oh, man, he, you know, he thought, this is it. And he just went to bed, sweet dreams, probably. So, the king is awake, though. This is a night to remember about the king. We, uh, we see that uh, there's an interesting read here for the king. So he gave an uh, order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, a lot of people say, boy, you start reading about the history books and about what's been done and all this kind of stuff, then, uh, man, that'll put you asleep pretty quick. Well, maybe that was his reason for bringing them out. 
But I think that one of the reasons for bringing them out was also to make him feel good and to sleep well. You see, the chronicles were very pleasing to the king. You remember, he likes to have his back rubbed. And this was kind of a massage for him. These were the things he had done as a king. And he wanted to hear them. He wanted that massage. He wanted someone stroking him. So the things that had happened, they were for him to please him. They would hopefully help him fall asleep and have sweet dreams. And so the, uh, the servant comes to his quarters and he reads to him the chronicles of Persia. Isn't it amazing that God directs us even in these minute facets of life? It's amazing what extraordinary things the Lord can do through ordinary events. Reading chronicles. God can and does work through our activities at work. He works through our recreational activities. He, he works through school activities, home activities, church activities. Yes, and even night activities like this. Now let's look a little closer at the choice of books. We know there, uh, there, uh, you know, there must have been numerous volumes, as I said, of books on the shelves. And isn't it amazing how the servant's hand picked up the right book? The book that, record, that recorded this about Mordecai and him not being honored in any way? Maybe we better look at it a little bit differently. Maybe we better look at it as God picking that servant's hand up and, and uh, arm and moving it to the right book. It even gets better as we read on. God not only can direct us in the book that we choose to read, but also in what we read. Look, God led the servant to pick out the very book that chronicled the event the instant with Mordecai, where he saved the king's life by re revealing this deadly plot to, uh, to kill the king. It was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Wow. Interesting thought here. You know, things are really getting better and better as we read it. As a servant reads about Mordecai saving the king's life here from this deadly plot, God, at the same time all of this has happened, places a thought in the king's mind. What is that thought? What, we did, what did we do for him? Man, this is a record dealing with me. I want to look good. What did we do for him? The king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? Then the servants, king's servants who attended him said, King, good king, nothing has been done for him. You see, when someone did a heroic deed like this, and the Persian kings would would reward them, would honor them greatly. That was their custom, but not here. It had slipped by somehow or another. 
Now guess what happened next in reading this? The king found out that Mordecai was a Jew. Ah, boy. All of this is beginning to open up. This presented a dilemma, really. How could he have overlooked this, this fact about him being Jew? Was he absent-minded enough that, that he just overlooked it? Or was it executed so by Haman that he didn't identify the people that he wanted to execute? In other words, Haman could have conveniently left that detail off. Probably did. So in the meantime, Haman, here he is. He's coming along early, wanting to take care of business, sing his song of praise and victory probably. And he was, you know, desiring to go to the banquet and take care of this problem with Mordecai, this thorn in the flesh. So as he's going to meet the king to get an okay for Mordecai's uh, uh, life to be taken guess what happens God is at work it wasn't luck it wasn't coincidence that he just happened to be there when he asked the servant is anyone here it was God working it out Christians don't believe in luck we believe in God's destiny God's sovereignty God's providence so second thing we need to look at is God is a God of, this is neat thing about it, intersections, as somebody said. Esther 6, uh, verses 6 through 9. We have God connecting the dots here. We have God connecting the things, the times, the events, and the people and working it all out, the intersections here. They're coming all together right at the right time. The U-turns, the, the, uh, the stops, uh, the, uh, the cautions, all of this and, and, and reworking and bringing it to, to where it needs to be. That's God's providence. So often we look at things through the eyes of chances or coincidence. That's when we fail to see, we miss it. We fail to see uh, them as divine intersections. And we miss what God is, is bringing into our life a lot of times. We miss the people. We miss the situation. We miss what we, we're to learn. You know, divine perspective helps us recognize what we just so happen to come across. Or the person that we just so happen to run into. Or the concept we just so happen to get into our minds. Or the certain place we just so happen to be at at a certain time. That it didn't just happen. We begin to see how God and his fingerprints are all over it. God is at work. God is working out this. Oh, look at this person he brought into my life. Oh, look at this situation. Look at this place that I'm at. Just at the right time. That's God. God intentionally brought those intersections into Mordecai, Haman, the king's life, and Esther's. And God intentionally brings those intersections in our, our lives. And it's for a reason, just like with them. And it's towards his intended aim, what he desires to accomplish. 
The Bible is full of, of these neat things, the roadblocks, the detours, the U-turns, the intersections, whatever it might be. The king, for instance, who couldn't sleep. The queen who delays in making her petition. A servant who picks up the right book and turns, by the way, to the right page. A person who saves the king's life but isn't rewarded. A gallows prepared for a Jew, but in turn ends up being for a Persian. The timing is superb. In Esther 6, 6 through 9, the king is asking the servant for an advisor to offer uh, uh, you know, suggestions for correcting the, this oversight of not taking care of Mordecai, not honoring him. And the servant tells uh, the king that, well, let me look out here. Haman's out there in the halls. The king calls for Haman to come into his bedchamber. Whoa! Bedchamber! He'd been brought before the king. Now he gets to go into his bedchamber. Very few people got to do that. That was an honor, a true honor. Boy, he's really thinking. Getting his, I mean, his head is really growing. Haman was probably thinking, the king really thinks highly of me and really trusts me. Boy, I mean, there's no telling what's going to happen. No stopping for me. Haman was really beginning to fly high. He had just finished the gallows for Mordecai. He is going to another banquet sponsored by the queen. All he has to do is get the king to okay the death of Mordecai. This is going to be a wonderful day. He thinks. So Haman came, it says, in, and the king said to him, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, Hmm, whom would the king desire to honor more than me? See, that's Haman's thinking. Oh, he's fixing to honor me. This is it. All right. So he doesn't ask. Ask who it is. But he makes sure that it's going to be a great event. Then Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king desires to honor, let him bring a royal robe with the king, which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head a crown, royal crown, has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor, and lead him on horseback through the city square. People you know, hurrahing him and, and shouting and proclaiming that, oh, perhaps he's the next king, whatever, and proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. And he says, go ahead, king. I know it's me. This is what he's about to say or how he's feeling. Could you imagine if Haman had not arrived when he did? the king would have had sought another advisor. But God worked all of this out. Proverbs 21.30. These encouraging words are given to us. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Wow. Haman is thinking that he is advising to the king how to honor him. He thinks he is in charge of things. He thinks he's in control of things. Little does he know that before the day's up, the situation would be completely reversed. And so, 
we see that the righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead, as Proverbs eleven eight says. Scripture tells us a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Here is Haman asking for the very best, thinking it's for him. Haman was quick to, to help the king when he thought it would benefit him. You know, isn't that the way the world works? If it benefits me, I'm quick to help them. But if it's not going to benefit me, I'm a little bit hesitant to help somebody else a lot of times. Haman's intent was politically motivated. I believe that with the king's robe, the king's horse, parading across the square, he probably thought that the king meant for him to be the next king. Haman didn't ask the king who he intended to bestow the honor on. And so God... The neat thing about it is God doesn't always reveal every detail to his plan at first glance. And he didn't hear. But as he works, you can be assured that he will be, it'll be revealed at just the right time. Now then, we come to 10 through 12. God often reveals his hand at the 11th hour doing the unexpected. I mean, he waits to right at the end. But it's for purpose. It's so exciting. Then the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes, the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai. Boom! What? Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. Oh, man, how embarrassing, how humiliating it must have been. Hebrews seems to indicate that Haman was to personally do all these things. When everything seems dark and bleak, often God shines with a fresh new light of his grace and does the unexpected. He loves to work this way because so often it's then is when he really gets the glory that he deserves. Nothing goes unnoticed before God. No kind deed goes unnoticed. No devotion or sacrifice we offer goes unnoticed. It didn't go unnoticed as far as Mordecai was concerned. So we see what goes around comes around. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. Haman recounted to Zesra, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zesra, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish organ, origin, excuse me, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Things that had gone around for Haman now have come around for Mordecai. We might ask how God's providence has smiled on you today. How have you acted as God's providence has smiled on you? Things that was planned for Mordecai now came around for the one who planned the worst for him, and that was Haman. God is a just God. Justice will come, and Scripture tells us. But Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. Haman returns to his house with his head covered. He doesn't look up, only hurries home. 
Can't you just imagine his whining and blaming others as so often they do? Then his wise men and Zerus, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish organ, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. I don't know if they knew Genesis 12. 12 and I, I will make you, talking about the Jews, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. Their theology was right. I don't know if they understood that passage or not or knew about it, but that was true. You know, and then while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Haman seems to have no more gotten home than a knock on the door. And he is escorted to the palace of the banquet. That would spell his doom. Brother Mike, thank you for uh, another wonderful message. Uh, and I want to thank each of you for tuning in this evening. Uh, I do want to mention again that we will be having Holy Week posts each day this week, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And uh, we will also be having our regular uh, prayer meeting uh, web conferences like we've had the last couple weeks on Wednesday night at 6.30 and Thursday night at 8. So please be sure to tune in for those. Uh, if you have any questions or anything, you can send us a message on Facebook uh, at Forest Heights Baptist Church or also send us an email to info at fhbcathens.org. Thank you and have a great week.